Dominic Livakovic, the goalkeeper. Lionel Messi, left-footed strike, blasts it into the back of the net. And Argentina have a 1-0 lead. And now Argentina counter-attacking. Here goes Alvarez. He's got help left and right. Alvarez keeps on going inside the box. There was a touch that comes in. Alvarez! He's put it away! He ran the length of the field. And just as the move was coming unstuck, the rebound fell back to him. And he's poked it past the goalkeeper. Messi spins around. Guardiol gets goal side of him. Lays it back in. It's a third for Argentina. Julian Alvarez is there to finish. But it was the wizardry. It was the majesty. It was outstanding from Lionel Messi. Great to have your company on the global game. And Argentina are through to the final of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. I'm Adam Peacock. Scott McDonald with me in the studio. Scotty. Hello. Are you surprised? 3-0 over Croatia this I'm, morning? Yeah, I'm surprised at the scoreline. Mm. Um, I thought Argentina would get through, but I thought it would be a, a lot tighter than that. But... It was always going to be difficult for Croatia if uh, Argentina scored early. Um, I think one thing that Croatia have really struggled to do in this tournament is score goals, mm. you know, and that's and that was proven once again in this semi-final. Well, only really did it against Canada, mm-hmm. didn't they? They yes. can save penalties. Lavakov is yes. very good saving penalties in penalty shootouts, <laughs> yes. but no match for Lionel Messi, who belts that one home. Mm-hmm. Firstly, the decision. Let's go through the nitty-gritty of the actual match before what it means in a wider sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the penalty decision, happy, unhappy? Devil's advocate says not happy mm. because if I look at over the course of years gone by, that doesn't get given. You know, you have a strike, a goal, everyone's still watching the ball, trying to get over the line, and the contact means nothing. How many times have we seen over the years, if you watch English Premier League football, goalkeeper comes out, but actually if you watch the replay again as well, goalie stops. Mm. He doesn't actually go into him. It's actually the momentum of the player running full pelt at him that takes a contact. Right, if you're the striker, though. Of who's... course I want him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even yeah, finish the question. Yeah, no, I knew exactly what you were going to say. But I, I did say devil's advocate, didn't yeah. I, from the beginning, right? Well, so... is devil's advocate your opinion or is it devil's advocate's opinion? Uh, I think it's very harsh. Yes. And here's another one for you. Yeah. 16 penalties. Yeah. How many has Argentina got so far? Four? So a quarter of penalties in this tournament. Yes, they've probably played a couple more games than a few. But a quarter of penalties have gone to Argentina. Are you mm. one of these conspiracy theorists that oh, just I'm want a, Messi yeah. in the final? Yeah. I, I am are? a little bit. I am a little bit. I'm not having that. Mm, okay. There I can't go. have that. <laughs> I can't have that. What, are you going to start reading QAnon on there or something? Uh, like that, are you? Or? But again, the penalty is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Oh, like unsavable. Yeah, like would have gone in with it. You know, and so much a weight of a nation on his shoulders at that point. Yes, he's the goat, mm. but still to to have the the cojones to put it that high in a World Cup semi final nil nil um, says something. Then he takes off on that run, mm-hmm. which well, it was the only time he did. <laughs> I'm being harsh today, but I'll tell you what. See, for the first 30 minutes... You're picking holes in the greatest... I know, but see, for the first 30 minutes, he was honking. He was. He didn't move. He gave the ball away. He, he was making fouls. And I'm thinking, how Argentina going to get this ball? Because at times, in the first 30 minutes, Croatia were good. Yeah. Croatia were good. They, they pressed well. They mm. kept the ball well in that midfield area. Again, no Mandzukic for Croatia gives them a problem this whole tournament. They haven't, no, got that, they haven't got that, that striker. Nothing to stick. No. When it gets forward, no. it doesn't stick, and they can create off the back of it. But 
With, okay. Did they not contend Croatia well in an emotional sense with that contentious penalty? And that was the yeah. reason why they were a bit all over the place for the last 15 minutes or 10 minutes of the first half? Yeah, they lost their discipline. I think just clearly because they conceded a goal. And, uh, and uh, they knew it was an uphill struggle from there. And then all of a sudden they lost their discipline from their, I think it was an attacking corner, was it? They, they got a corner and then obviously the counter, counter attack for the second goal. Yep. Um, oh, yes, Alvarez gets, you know, a couple of ricochet one-twos, but, yep. you know, he deserves it. He, he was excellent again. And what a foil he's been for Lionel Messi in this tournament. Now four goals in this tournament as well. Um, only 22 years of age. Obviously he's on loan back to River Plate from Manchester City. Um, but oh, he's at Manchester City. Oh, he's at Manchester. Yeah, yeah he is actually. He scored some goals. What am I talking about? Right, but he was though. Yeah, yeah, he was. But then he's he's come in this season, hasn't he? Um, but look for me because Dybala's actually only just that was his first minutes in this tournament, uh. which is crazy to think, isn't it? You know that he's sitting on the bench, and I've been asking a question in my head, going, why is he not played more? Maybe it's because he was had injury problems before it. But we've seen it now. Why? Because Alvarez is happy to be the Sherpa. Yeah, exactly. He's happy to just. Well, they need that, though. Do all the work. But they need that because yeah. Messi's not going to move. And that's that's the crazy thing. You look at Modric, who's 37, and he's everywhere. Yeah. He's absolutely – but, okay, different players. That's what he and I, and I'm yeah. And, look, whoever's listening to me, all right, he's still the greatest player <laughs> in the world, right? I'm not, I'm not arguing that point. I'm not arguing that point. However, I just look at it at a coach's perspective, and Scaloni does so well to deal with this because this is, this is hard for a, for a coach. Oh, yeah. Because if you can't press – Right, and you've got the best player in the world, and you have to contend with that, and you have to deal with him. Because if you think about the start of this tournament, he wasn't playing up front, Lionel Messi. No, he was playing in in the ten role, right? Yeah. So he's had to rethink and rejig because Saudis they lost to, right? And obviously that's been an issue. And going, how do I try and get the best out of him? But actually, our first first line of press or that that mid press isn't affected by. So okay, we'll put him further up top and see if we can work around that and put Alvarez next to him, you really noticed mm. it in the Socceroos game. It, and Messi got riled up after half an hour by Zizbayic, and he, he kind of flicked into gear there. But before that, he wasn't pressing. And they did – actually, you remember the game, the, the bit in the Socceroos game, we're getting off track of the Croatia mm -hmm. game here, but yeah. where the Socceroos, I, I reckon they had 50 passes in a row. And they were just mm -hmm. patient, patient. And then Argentina tried to press, but it was an in a press without discipline because four went and yeah. the others stayed, and they cut them apart. Yep. A little. Got down the right and, and the cross didn't come quite off. But when they got the second half, Scaloni, and this is back to him. So he, he then rejigged his press and what do you know? Yep. Poor old Matty Ryan. All of it, all yeah, Alvarez. Thank you very much. And Alvarez, who I saw live for Manchester City against Sevilla. And my boy was sitting next to me and he's a striker. I said, that's what strikers have to do these days. Mm -hmm. They have to do all that donkey work. And he ran and ran and ran all night. Barely touched the ball in attack. And then ended up with two goals off the back of effort, reward. essentially, when Sevilla got a bit tired. And that's his game, and he's done so well for, for Argentina. He really has. Uh, Athleticism is a massive part of the game now. Um, mm. And look, we are seeing snippets of the magician. We're not seeing full, you know, games of, of Leo Messi at, at what well, we... can't. What, no. Match. Well, yeah. he can. We can't. Well, some can. Well... They're in a World Cup final after winning 3-0 oh, no. in the semifinals, Scott, <laughs> so it ain't going too bad. No, and, and look, I know you're going to ask me a bit about Argentina. Um, for me, the difference between them is the workmanlike ethic that they have amongst that whole side, you mm. know, out with, you know, Messi and what's around that, what they're giving him, you know, and it's and they're so disciplined within their shape and what they are. It's interesting with the – you look at the two profiles of Portugal and Argentina and you go, Argentina will be 
they look like all those younger players around are willing to do anything for their football god. Yeah, Messi. they are. Whereas Portugal, they've got some superbly talented mm-hmm. individuals and there's Ronaldo. And Ronaldo's a different personality to Messi and you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But it just feels like there was always a disconnect with Portugal. There's more egos in that team though. Yeah. They're all egotistical. Bruno Fernandes is another one who's as egotistical as Ronaldo. Joe Felix is the yeah. probably values himself as and he's the, one cool the, as the best yeah, young player in the world. Player, yeah, absolutely. So the, there's more to do. Whereas the the Argentine side and uh, the weight of the nation, the, the understanding of what this means to him, uh, Lionel Messi, and and how good he's been for for his country and and for club over the years, um, and this is the last chance, and they all know that. And what was interesting seeing Scaloni was emotional after the game as well. It was almost tears in his eyes. I mm. caught that at the end as well, like in how much it meant to him, but also for, I think, for Lionel Messi as well. He's He's been superb, Scaloni. He's, mm-hmm. what, you, you think of teams and you think, oh, they, they'll do it the same way all the way through. We won't, plan A is do, uh, plan B is do plan A better. But he, he's gone through a file of facts of, no, I of love plans. That. I love that. That's, that's my way of thinking. I, I'm not one of these, plan A isn't working, just do plan A better. I think, we're past that, I think. And, and your players have to understand that there's certain things at times you have to do and adapt to what's happening against you. Mm. And if your players buy into that and understand that, and, and the Argentine team have done that, particularly against the Dutch, um, in those moments where they went to that back three, and, uh, and at, at the start you were questioning it, but they got better as the game went on. And then they flipped once again, once once it, once they equalised again. So, look, he's been, like you said, and he's only young as well. So mm. there's a big future ahead for him. What about Croatia? How do they view the tournament as a whole? I think they've got to be proud of what they've done. I think no one would have ever thought that they could have got this far. Punched above their weight once again. I think you touched on when we were together recently. Four and a half or just under four and a half million population Mm -hmm. uh, of a nation. um, And how they produce these wonderful players. um, And and how they've galvanized themselves. And, you know, that's okay. Before this morning, eight out of nine games they've gone in knockout stage have gone to extra time they push people to the limits and they always find a way to get over the line and that's that passion togetherness and what they are and you see all the ex-players still in the in the group as well like mm. when you know for this world cup campaign see manzukic there as, a, as one of the coaches or one of the staff yeah um they've just got a real togetherness and a collectiveness they're a fascinating nation and obviously one that i know well because obviously my my team that I manage in up in up in Gold Coast is is Croatian Heritage, um, and they're very passionate people and and love their nation and love their football. But there's a DNA about them about how they even produce football this year in Australia. Yeah, there, there is the Croatian clubs in Melbourne, they're certainly tough. Sydney United. I've seen a lot of their youth football, mm-hmm. and there's the, the, the young players that technically they're taught a certain way, and it, it carries on from what's going on actually in Croatia. Lavakovic, mm-hmm. the keeper, so. Manuel Neuer decides to go down the uh, the black run somewhere and he snapped his leg. Apparently Bayern Munich are talking to Vakovic. He wouldn't look out of place in a club like that, would he, given his World Cup experience? No, absolutely not. Um, you always get a bolter in the World Cup and he's certainly one that stood out, hasn't he? You know, and, and probably the next generation of the, the next goalkeepers that are coming through for sure. 
You're listening to The Global Game. Thanks to Kraken, kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. A bit later in the show, we're going to catch up with Ahmed Youssef, who's written a fantastic article on ABC about Morocco and how Morocco has made the semifinals and the storylines behind that. But after the break... A little story kicking around about a grand final being moved to Sydney for three years or something like that. I'm not totally across it, but we'll talk about it after the break. Welcome back to the Global Game. Great to have your company, Adam Peacock and Scott McDonald. As I threw the break there, it sounded a bit flippant about the subject we're going to talk about right now, but it's not a flippant subject, of course, because it's it feels like it's stuck a dagger through the hearts of many football fans in this country, and you can't tell a football fan how to think. I've, I, I do know that. So they, they, they've very much got their own opinions and fully appreciate their own opinion and good on them. If they want to protest about it, protest about mm-hmm. it. However they see, see fit. And that's the wonderful thing about a society that we live in. But Scott McDonald, um, after the, the story broke, some bumbling journo on uh, Monday morning and then it's gone on and on and on. As we sit here right now, I'll give you this piece of information. The active fan support groups uh, have been invited to meet with the APL, some APL board members tonight who are going to explain their side of the story. And I don't know if this is going to twist things. As I understand it right now, as we sit here late Wednesday afternoon, there is no way in God's green earth that this decision is going to be reversed. Absolutely not. They doubled down last night with their statement. It's done. So it ain't changing. Where does it leave you and your thoughts about what has happened? It's an absolute PR disaster for the game. It's a nightmare. Don't come out half-cocked as well and go... Oh, by the way, um, yeah, this is going to be great for the game. And we've got more things coming with this week that we're going to have, but we can't announce it yet. Well, don't come out and announce anything, please. Mm. Just leave it. And your timing is awful, right? And then the backlash we've had off it, just when we think we're having some positive vibes about our game again and it can grow, all of a sudden these guys have gone and done this and I'm just scratching my head going, right, back to square one or even now two steps further back. Uh, having a read of the... The City Terrace and also the OSN, which is the original mm-hmm. style of Melbourne, which is the old, as far as I can understand, the um, the artist formerly known as the North Terrace. The big active supporter groups, they have gone on Facebook at various times this week, including today, and said, <laughs> we're walking out. 20 minutes. See you later. We're out well, of here. Yeah, but they're still paying their money if they're in for 20 minutes. So, like, for now. And yeah, I don't think now. they're coming but back. This is all, all this is tonight is damage control. It's nothing more than that from, from the APL. They, they're trying to appease people hold on a minute right so when you announce this why don't you explain to the general public the reasons behind not just saying this is great for our game give us the figures and tell us why and where that money is going to go and and how it's going to support the game to grow and get better right at least then we've got an argument then a counter argument of we don't like to well this is why we're doing it we haven't been given those reasons interesting thing about the reasons is okay to to break that down a little bit more Mm -hmm. Understand the figures twelve million dollars, so they don't they didn't want to come out with that because firstly New South Wales government wanted it to be confidential because they don't want to give away their their IP. But they have now. But they have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the and then the APL didn't want to come across as we really needed this money. Wait a minute, it's twelve million dollars. It's four million dollars a year. Break that down between all the clubs. Is it really that much? They didn't want to come across for the next commercial arrangement that they try to make as. Oh, you need some money, do you? So then the, the commercial arrangement on the other side, when they're negotiating, can lowball them because they know that they're at, in the market of, oh, not desperation, but along those lines. That's where it sits right now. Is it desperation then? 
in your eyes? It shouldn't be. But is it? I think it's got a hint of it. Mm. Put it that way. I wouldn't call it total desperation. They see it as a an opportunity. Now, don't shoot me. I'm not saying that this is a wonderful no, no, opportunity. No, no. I actually disagree with the move. Yep. I don't like the idea well, of a grand final taking away the merit and what we're used to well, absolutely. of a grand final. As a player, as a, as a coach, I look at it and go, well, it doesn't matter if I finish first. Uh, I can finish in the top two now and, and still... Like it, it doesn't. I can get the advantage of having the semi-final thing. You know that, yeah. that that's great, and having second leg at home for those two legs. But that's it. It doesn't really mean anything anymore if I win it because I don't have the the, the advantage of actually playing a final in my home nation, um, home state, hometown. Uh, okay, I've I've noticed another post. I forget what fan group it was from, so I won't mention which one. But I definitely saw it. It was the players should be standing up here and protesting themselves, basically saying players, I don't know if they're saying players stand down, but start speaking up and, and taking the initiative and taking the jump on the fan side. Is that dangerous territory for a player? It is because there's always a fear for players in this country that they'll have no league. That's a real fear for, for a lot of these no players. No league, full stop. No league. Yeah. That has I, been talked about. No, but well, just in general, I just think they fear that they fear that they they won't be able to play, you know, and, and clubs have this hangover with them and because there's so much limitation in terms of access to where you can go, albeit people say you jump around from place to place. And even in terms of finances, it's not they're not earning great deals of money, these players. What about from this perspective as well, from a player point of view, you're worldly type, Scott, and you've done contracts overseas and dealt with managers overseas in different cultures. So if a player back here blows up about something like this, goes on social media, goes on strike, says this, that, and the other, and then tries to get a move overseas, does the prospective club look at it and go, no, you're a troublemaker, mate? Possibility. There's a possibility of that. And in terms of who their advisors are and what they're probably advising them, um, it's always better to probably stick your head in the sand and, and and let the hierarchy deal with these these issues rather than make a statement. So you, you've got to give Craig Goodwin you know a little bit of credit in terms of coming out thereafter. So, yeah, but yep. PR disaster. But, you know, did you know before? If you knew before, then why did you agree to it, mm. right? Was it because of the backlash you've finally come out? And and if so, then that's fine still because fair enough, you've you've owned it, right, and you've come out. Um, but players probably knew about this before. But look, uh, at the grand scale of things, it's there's more going on than just with the players, you know, having to, to fight this. Yeah. You know, like the fans are, are doing a great job at trying to obviously now, you know, stake a claim and, and be heard. Um, however, the, the whole governance is just completely wrong. And it was something I questioned right from the beginning when the APL took over that. How can you govern yourselves? Sneaky little article coming on Code Sports tomorrow, by the way. Just give it a quick plug, but I'm not mm. doing it for commercial interest. It's just because I'm actually writing it right now. It's the fact that the, the, the board is... I can't see how this works, that the chair of the board is Paul Lederer, who owns Western Sydney Wanderers. The five club-appointed directors are from, like, either owners or represent direct representatives of owners. The next one is the Silver Lake guy, Stephen Evans, who's got a huge financial investment in the APL. And then there's a seventh from a, a Football Australia appointee, but six of the seven are into it up to their necks financially. <sighs> And yet you're making decisions based on what when it comes to the good of the game? Is it financials, number one, you think? Well, yeah. And I think it's very hard to get across the board 
and agreeing on, on everything when you have self-interest, um, particularly when you're on these boards and you have a lot of control. There's, there's, there's not one person like more or less, and there never is on these boards, but in terms of the clubs are still doing what they want to do. Every, each individual club are doing, and I know that from other things that are going on within the league right now, yeah. and there's things in the background governance-wise, and they're saying, hey, you can't kind of do that. Well, we'll stuff you, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's how it's going at the moment. It's, it, there's, it's just Cowboys and Indians. It's interesting that when they had the announcement that December 2020, they said, yeah, we're going to have a, uh, this is our board structure. Five directors from the clubs, one from the FA, three independent, independent chair. I got two out of four at the moment, and here we are right now with fans threatening boycotts, blow-ups over a decision made which was in the financial best interest of the league, yes, but was it the right move, in my opinion? Mm. No, absolutely not. Have you ever been in a stadium where there's been a fan boycott or a walkout as uh, a player? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think I think the Celtic fans at some point or another have done it, but just a one-off in terms of to you know to argue about Put the what they were. The board or yeah, at, at at some point or another, I was part of when I was very very young um, in England. Um, basically, everyone going on strike as players in terms of the the TV deals that were going okay. on yep. back then, in terms of pay and and everything else that was going on with the PFA, and everyone was going to strike. And I think that was the biggest problem we had as players that when we went through COVID that there was certain players that wouldn't and certain players that would. And that's always the worry for players when you ask players to come out. Yeah. It's okay to stick your neck on. But again, like you said, are you the one that's ostracized for that then? Because you've stuck your neck out. And that happens a lot. Lonely place. Mm -hmm. Would you walk out of as a fan? Would you boycott? That's a really good question. It's a personal question. That's a really, really good question. Um, and again, if I'm as invested as some of these fans are and, and hurt by it, yes, absolutely. I, I just wouldn't – I wouldn't even go. Mm. I wouldn't go for the 20 minutes. Why would you? Like, you, you're paying your good money. It's like you, you kind of – it defeats the purpose of what you're trying to do. Like, go outside and do it, all right, and then leave. You know, just don't pay your money to get in. I did notice that Fed Square turned down the opportunity to host the city and victory fans after yeah. they worked out. That's probably a smart thing. Fair, fair enough. They, they, they tried it and said, look, look, let's recreate what we have with the soccerers. I'm not sure it would turn out that way. Again, categorically, can I just say I'm not advocating that, but what? that's what I would do. Yeah. But you know, because I don't want any fan. I want all fans and I want APL to succeed. Let's get that right. We're, we're not here just trying to, you know, slam them and, and bash them. But like we want the best for the game. That that's categorically what we want here. And this where I, I, things become a bit blurred for me is that when people who have a really strident opinion, and it happens in all walks of life, people who have a really strident opinion, that's great, that's fine. Mm. Good on you. That's how you live your life. But then when you start telling other people what to do and how to live their life, like the, the, the story to the players, imagine if a player turned around and said to a fan, you've got to boycott because I'm not getting my superannuation or whatever like that. The fan will probably go, well, I'll think about it, but it's my choice, isn't yeah. it? So I, I think everyone needs it. And Simon Hill was on the global game last night. He said, I don't agree with this, but I wouldn't walk out on my team. That is purely a personal point of view. Mm -hmm. Absolute personal yeah. point of view. Well, we see, everyone is different. We, we see it in the, you know, the Premier League all the time, you know, particularly Manchester United is one of the big ones at the moment that they just don't like the Glazers. And, and they will obviously have these so-called boycotts and uh, protests and whatnot. With, with Mike Ashley in Newcastle. Yeah, but they still turn up. 
Um, is it defeating the purpose of it? Possibly, but they love their clubs that much and they love the game that much that they they want to go. Love the badge. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in saying that, I totally respect the decision of fans if they don't show up or boycott. They, they're, they're the ones investing mm-hmm. and they're the ones that have been forgotten about in this decision-making process because, um, yeah, if you, if you have an owner, the good owners listen. The good owners know what's going on at the back of the grandstand. The ban owners depend... Uh, pretend that people don't exist at the back of the grounds. Well, that's a, there's the question then. Uh, have the, the owner or the APL board given up on the fans? They haven't thought about the fans. They knew a backlash was coming. Mm-hmm. They didn't expect this. Really? Okay. No. Um, it's interesting. No yeah. And I could have told it, it like, but not many of them were here in 2015 yeah. in terms of the APL management. Or some well, of the club owners were. 2015 was when we had the ball. ball Boycotts out of the front page of the Sunday Telegraph and okay. all the yeah. spin-off of that. Sorry. So you're in the know, right? A little bit more than what I am in, in terms of what's gone down since obviously yeah. this has all happened, right? So you, you've got Western United, you've got Perth Glory, and you've also got uh, Wellington Phoenix that have come out and sort of slammed the whole scenario and situation as well. Are you telling me that they didn't know about this? I'm very wary of those who come out and slam a decision that they were meant to be a part of mm-hmm. after the fact, after the reaction. Mm-hmm. Very wary. Yeah. Chris Fong's email that's on social media, <laughs> Melbourne victory. To be fair to DPet- Anthony DiPietro, he's backed it by just walking away from the board. Yeah. I don't know if he's come up with the – he was, I'm led to believe, going to the launch on Monday, but saw the backlash and went, wait a minute, we've got a lot to lose because we've just repaired our relationship with our fans. Mm-hmm. Our fans have said this. And I'm not, I don't know for absolute on my kids' lives certain that he voted in favour of this on the board level. Yeah. But he was on the board and now he's not in protest at the decision that was made that he was well across. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that that's the state of play at the moment. It's an ever-evolving. But, but again, I know I asked this, what's he really given up by not being on the board? Not, not a lot. He wasn't getting paid to probably be on it anyway. So, like, not giving up Just much, really. Making de- decisions. Who... Who they get, I'm not sure. Because uh, another thing, sorry, we're dragging on here. Uh, the, the four big clubs, if you want to call them the big clubs, Sydney FC, Western City, Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory had spots on the board, one vote. Mm-hmm. The other seven clubs and probably Canberra United thrown in from the uh, A-League women's, one vote between them. And Chris Fong from Brisbane Raw was the representative. So that those smaller clubs are like, we're not getting as much of a say here. We're mm-hmm. going through one, one person. We might align ourselves with the... The other four, but yeah, there is that element to it as well. It's a complete mess. Look, complete mess. Well, we were talking off air in terms of what they should have thought about, and in terms of what the NRL does really well is have that big weekend and 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 something like that. If that's gonna, the way I would have gone. That's how like to recreate something that I think would be great for the game and have this this party, so called atmosphere of over one big week or one big weekend. Mm. I think that would have been the better route to go down with uh, New South Wales government and do it that way. What about play six games? Remember that Japanese game show where they had two professional <laughs> players and a hundred kids, I think? What about play six games yes. at once with six balls on the field? <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. it would be. It would make more sense than what's gone on this week mm. so far. But we'll wait and see. I would have gone the magic round. I would have gone that option, yeah. tied it in with an all-stars. You say, I was government, you want this? Yeah, sure. They have plenty of fans coming. I would have been time. amazing. But look, let's... Let, summertime in Sydney when it's, like, you know, beautiful. Get down to Bondi, beautiful tourist destination. Do it in school holidays when you get kids here. This is making more sense as I go yeah. on here. I know, I know. But look, as, my much, as much as, 
like it's it's not repairable. Still, we've got to give Danny Townsend and the APL time to see what these other measures are that they're going to make this big weekend all about. Like if they're going to make it what they're protesting to do, um, but it's still going to hurt the fans. Because if you've got a Perth Glory and a Western United or an Adelaide, you know, like it, it does make it difficult um, in terms of not ha- And the memories that have been made throughout the A-League to now with having them not in Sydney or not in the fashionable cities at times have been great. The one at Optus Stadium, the one at Adelaide Oval. Fashionable city? Do you know what I mean? The city, the, the sports cities, all right? Don't get me in trouble on, on radio. <laughs> well, you're doing man. it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a magnificent right. Thank job you, yourself, Oh, yeah, I know. I'm never going to get invited to anything now. Thanks for that. <laughs> no sweat. Uh, off to a break on the, the global game. Uh, as we go to the break, by the way, um, let's get an odd... Odds update from Tom Haylock. Uh, thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks, Adam. Yes, heating up, getting to the pointy end of the FIFA World Cup. Thanks to betfair.com.au. We're heading to the semi-final. France versus Morocco. Argentina have qualified. They're $1.92 to take out the World Cup. $1.93 if you're against them to lay. France, $2.40. Uh, $2.42 to lay. Morocco, the outsiders, at $14.50. As you're all aware, we've teamed up with Stats Insider throughout the World Cup, and they've got a couple of plays for the semi-final, France versus Morocco. Now, Morocco are $14.50. Stats Insider have been on their case uh, throughout the World Cup, and they're sticking with them. They're with Morocco to qualify at $4.50 at the moment, $4.50 to $4.70 there, Morocco to qualify. They're also keen to lay Kylian Mbappe to score the first goal at $5. So they're laying that, and they're keen to Morocco to qualify. If you're with Morocco and Stats Insider, $14.50 looks a juicy price. You can back them now and lay off later if they qualify. So that might be another play there. But um, Argentina go in as favourites at the moment at $1.92. Thanks very much, guys. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Back soon. Yeah, welcome back to the Global Game. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022, where there's big stories about big players. And then there's the story of Morocco making the last four, the North African nation becoming the first nation from the continent of Africa to make a World Cup semi-final, And it's... A double-edged one as well, given that the, um, the the ties to the Arab world of a country like Morocco and this being the first World Cup held on Arab land in Qatar. And I can tell you from being there that it was an extraordinary atmosphere at a Tunisia game and a Morocco game because the place just went off and the coffee shops and mm. the restaurants that are run by these people were just full of colour and life and every single discussion was about football. It was great to be around. A man who knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do is ABC Digital Editor Ahmed Youssef, who's written a fantastic uh, article on abc.net.au. So check that out. But Ahmed, mate, how do you describe this story and what has happened to Morocco at this World Cup? Oh, where to start, Adam? I think... I think- Morocco, um, the beauty of them, as you just sort of described, is they represent so much. Um, They represent the African continent. They represent um, the Arab world, the Muslim world, the global south. What is possible for so many nations when we think about the World Cup, we want a World Cup that represents all of the world. And the way they did it is no fluke. They 
um, they were strategic. They thought about how do we create a situation where we're developing local talent? How do we create a situation where we're utilizing diaspora talent in Europe and, and form the plan? They've created the Muhammad Five Academy that's developed players like Onahi and Nasiri, um, Agard, all three players who've been incredible at this World Cup. They've put together a scouting network like no other on the African continent that tracks their diaspora players in France, the Netherlands, um, Spain. It's how they found Hakimi. They weren't knocking on Hakimi's door when he was playing for Dortmund or Inter or PSG. They were getting in contact with him when he was a teenager um, at training camps. Um, so I think what Morocco shows is what is possible for so many um, countries, particularly in Africa, when I think about Nigeria and Ghana and their big diasporas across the globe, and also the amount of local talent they developed just by accident. Like someone like Mohamed Kudus, like he didn't come out of a, an academy run by the Ghana, Ghanaian Football Association. He, was done, um, he came out of the, the Right to Dream um, Academy that has nothing to do with the Ghanaian Football Association, right? So it's imagine if these countries became organized and what they could be doing at the world stage. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Ahmed. In terms of like these players now, that have they opened the door for more of you know multinational uh, players now to actually choose this pathway? You know, perhaps an African pathway more so than a European one, where it was always seen as the better option for a lot of these players. Have now these Moroccan players sort of opened that door up to now more of these players uh, wanting to choose that? I think they've opened up the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. So like when, particularly for for Morocco, right? So whatever happens at this World Cup, they've changed the landscape, I think. Um, Say if there's a young player emerging in France, Spain, wherever the diaspora is, and they knock on their door and say, play for us. Um, Before it'd be like, I want to make a World Cup semi-final. Well, we've made a World Cup semi-final, right? Um, play with Ashraf Hakimi, play with um, Hakim Ziyech. And, and I think what it's done as well is put out a marker for other um, African football federations to start working, to start thinking about how they are more organised. Like Ghana decided to call up Cody Gakpo, mm-hmm. Eddie Nkeria and Callum Hudson-Odoi months before the World Cup. That, that, that's doesn't really work. You need to be planting those seeds much, much earlier. What does the future look like for Moroccan football? Is this a, do you get the gut feel? This is a, oh, this has happened. Wow. And then next world cup, it's someone else's turn from Africa or the one after and Morocco kind of go back to the pack. Or is this the real, a real opportunity to, to look at Morocco as the, one of the, the leaders of African football for the next 20 years? Good question. Um, I think I think they're they're not going away. Um, we sort of talked about that Mohammed Five Academy, their football excellence center. That sort of so many people in the football world have said it's better than even Claire Fontaine. Um, that's just going to take time to even grow further. Like I've, we sort of mentioned, those three players in the squad right now that came from that Mohammed Five Academy. 
what's going to happen in 10, 15 years in terms of local talent. Um, just this year alone, um, the Moroccan, uh, Moroccan team in both the men's and women's games won the Champions League. Um, we've seen the success of the Moroccan men's team at this World Cup. At next year's Women's World Cup, the Moroccan women's national team will be playing. They've qualified. So I think as a nation, in terms of creating a sporting sort of, I guess, streamline for success, they've, I think they're on their way. And now it's about the other African nations starting to catch up. You talk about that national technical facility in Rabat. Um, do you feel that that's been the biggest importance of the success um, for Morocco? And is this something, obviously putting my Australian hat on, is this something that obviously nations like us should really be looking at? Didn't we have one? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm asking. Well, I, I think definitely. Like, well, like I'm Australian, obviously. Yeah. So, like, we always talk about, like, the old AIS system, right? Mm-hmm. How it produced all these players and there was this, like, sort of um, space for all these young players to be together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, I think. Like, I also think, like, when you're talking about trying to get players, because there's so many Australian players of dual nationality, right? Like, trying to make sure that they play for the Socceroos or the Matildas, making sure that when you sell them, sell them on the dream, you're not selling them sort of crappy facilities. You're selling them on, like we are going to work on this, we're working on the state-of-the-art sort of facilities, we've got this youth development plan, we are here for you. And I think um, a bunch of countries that have sort of diasporas abroad as well as like people of dual nationalities and there's going to be a ton of options because migration is the story of football, right? So like it's not going to stop. And so the onus is going to be on those national federations to start doing that work um, one of the sort of African football experts I was talking to sort of described uh, international this sort of being international football's transfer window, and it's so true. We've seen this in Australia. We've 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 courted players, and we've got some. We've not gotten others. Um, and I think that's going to be the story of just international full stop, international football full stop going going forward. Hey. Uh... Um, last one, what, one thing that really struck me about watching Tunisia and Morocco at a World Cup with the support that they were getting in the stadium and obviously the build-up. I remember that when the Tunisians lobbed in town, they, they had about a 1,000 people out the front of their hotel giving them a traditional welcome. I'm, I'm not sure the Moroccans copped the same, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. But the players then respond in kind by giving a performance that has absolutely everything thrown at it, but also a, a hint of theatre, like a, a Cirque du Soleil, like a... a a clearing header is not just a clearing header. There's a dive after it and there's a, a hype to the crowd and, and everything like that. How have you appreciated that as a, as a football fan? Cause I absolutely loved it. It was bloody fun to watch. Oh, completely loved it. And like, you can tell how much it means. Like this world cup means a lot. And I know there's, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding it and there's been really good reporting around the issues uh, facing migrant workers, issues facing um, LGBTQ communities, but also there's been so many people that this has been a World Cup that they've been able to access, um, which they've never been able to before. So I think, and, and seeing that, visualising that, and seeing how much it means for the players, it's been, like, I've not seen that many footballers 
making sujood in my life. You mm. know what I mean? So like after every um, goal or after every game, it's like let's go and do sajda. Um, and I think that's been beautiful. Um, and may continue to, uh, tomorrow morning when hopefully Morocco beats France. And and even just the story of Morocco is so interesting. The the the, the politics surrounding it, like the the links of Spain and Portugal and France, all having with that that with Morocco, like this almost becomes so much bigger than football. Yeah, it's like a derby almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ahmed, yeah. really appreciate your time, mate, and uh, congratulations on the reporting on the article on abc.net, and enjoy the game tomorrow morning. Yeah, thanks, Ahmed. Thanks Good luck. Bye. Ahmed Yusuf joining us right there. Uh, we're off to a quick break, and, uh, yeah, this is The Global Game, and you can catch us on Twitter, of course, at, at Global Game SEN. Feedback appreciated. Yeah, wrapping up the show with a quick thought on uh, the game tomorrow. We spoke to Ahmed Yusuf um, earlier, Morocco, Cinderella story, fantastic. Scott, who wins, France or Morocco? Heart says Morocco, head says France. Mm. I really, really would, you know, part of me, the way I've seen this story grow with Morocco and, and what they've done and how, how all the families are there as well and they bring their mums on. I mean, it's just wonderful. It's touching. It yeah. really is touching. And the story goes on for this African nation. However, this French team is packed with quality. What about it that they've done this? With the quality that they've done it with, without Pogba, Kante, and the best player in the world. Yeah, and Cuckoo ago. as well, who's an up-and-coming. So like, uh, well, I, said, I said to you, they have got more in their locker. There, there's more coming. I'm telling you, they're, they're going to come again in 2026. But, like, Rabiel has been outstanding. Griezmann yeah. has been wonderful to watch, you know, if, the architect. Messi probably gets the player of the tournament, the golden ball. Mm. But, geez, Griezmann, if France win the win the World Cup off the back of him. I can't see how they don't Does he, though, if Mbappe turns up and this next one gets a couple? Griezmann's the reason why they're in the I know, but, like, if, if... I know Mbappe... Yeah. Like, if, like True, seeing, seeing Messi score um, this morning, Mbappe's going to turn it on. He, he wants okay. the golden boot. Ego v. Ego. Yep. Excellent. No worries. Yep. The prince versus the king. There you go. Uh, we've got some A-League uh, men's on the way, by the way, um, on the field. We've got uh, the Jets and Brisbane Raw uh, on Friday night and Saturday. You've got Phoenix, Adelaide, Mariners, Sydney... City victory, and then Sunday is Western United, Western Sydney Wanderers, and MacArthur and Perth. So that's the upcoming fixtures, including that big semi-final tomorrow morning. Scott McDonald, thanks for your time. Pleasure. And thank you for your time as well. I'm back with Quasaldino tomorrow. Adam Kwasnick for a review of France-Morocco. His take on the uh, A-League situation and the first thoughts of the World Cup final all from 11pm Eastern tomorrow or on the podcast will be available around lunchtime. Just search Global Game SEN. Thanks for your company. Catch you tomorrow.